You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. He is risen, huh? He is risen indeed. That's what my mom used to make us say every Easter morning. Uh, welcome to Embassy. If you are a guest with us, I'm super, super glad that you said yes to someone's invitation. My name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy. Uh, and like Derek said, we, we planted Embassy a year ago. And so today we're going to celebrate the resurrection. Um, man, there's so much to celebrate. Uh, but we're also going to celebrate Embassy's first birthday. So uh, if you didn't make plans for that, I hope you just stick around after. Uh, but it'll be a good time to connect as a church family uh, and, and community. Um, man, I was walking with my gals. Uh, I have three girls, seven, six, three and a half, almost four. Uh, and, and I was walking with them on so- Palm Sunday. So last Sunday, uh, me and my two oldest were, were walking and um, talking about our resurrection hope. Okay. And these are like the critical conversations that you like love as a parent, right? They don't come along often, but when they do, like you better be ready, you know, because they let you talk about the, the really important things in life. You don't want to miss them. But they're also kind of the critical conversations as a parent that, that can freak you out. Um, and so we're talking about resurrection hope. And you would think as a pastor, I'd be like rightly qualified for this one. But, but this was a toughie, right? Because my oldest um, asked this question, okay? Um, and this is just a side note. If, if you want to, you know, really know how clear you are in your theological convictions, talk to children, not to adults. They don't let you get away with anything, right? If it's like fluffy, like just overdrawn, you know, and I can be, I can be you know, wordy as a pastor. Like your kids would just look at you and be like, huh? And you're like, golly, I'm trying. Um, so, so my oldest asked this question. She says, why do, we, why do we call it Good Friday, not Sad Friday? What would you answer to that? You know, why do we call it Good Friday and, and not Sad Friday? And um, so, uh, you know, what I said in response was, uh, that's a great question. Caroline, what do you think? You know, um, you, can, you can decide whether or not that's just, you know, really good facilitation skills, um, just kind of passing the question along, or I just punted. Um, I punted. I, I made my six-year-old answer the question. Um, and I was trying to give myself some more time. Uh, to answer this question in a way that a a seven-year-old could understand. Again, seven-year-old, six-year-old. And my six-year-old pipes up before I can even say anything. She says, well, we call it Good Friday because in Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again, so Friday can be good. I mean, I was impressed, right? Not not with myself, with Allison, right, and her theological training in our young ones. I was like, golly, I married a good one. But my six-year-old pipes up and just nailed it, you know? And I was like, wow. Isn't that so true, right? We, we, we can't separate as much as we might want to um, on, on Easter weekend. We, we can't separate what happened on Friday with what happened on Sunday. Jesus' resurrection was the hope of the world. And so Sad Friday might have been the first Friday, but ever since then, because of Resurrection Sunday, it's been Good Friday. Right? Where we have hope that as much as death has sting, it doesn't have the last word. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is is our resurrection hope. Where does that really come from? And, and is it more than just a cross your fingers and we'll see hope? Or is it consider it done and let's celebrate it hope? Because I think it's the latter, amen? Is it a present confidence kind of hope that we have because of a past action 
and it's going to have a future implication kind of hope. Resurrection hope, it's different than just cross your fingers and we'll see. You know, it's interesting that in in talking about resurrection hope, my oldest daughter brought up (laughs) Sad Friday. She brought up death. Because, strangely enough, the most natural reality of life is death. And I I want us to just think about this for a second, because I think it's important to understand a resurrection hope. But have you ever, ever just stopped to think that every single life that has ever lived has died? Like, throughout history, every blade of grass... Every minnow that has ever gulped, right? Every, every egg that has ever hatched, every baby that has just screamed because oxygen has pierced their newborn lungs, everything that has literally ever lived has died. So well, that's morbid, Critter. We're, we're here for the resurrection, and I didn't come to the Good Friday service. But you can't, you can't detangle the two in, in life, can you? The most natural reality to life is death, and at the same time, the most unnatural reality to life is death. Isn't it? You would think as common as death is to life that we would have gotten used to it by now, but we don't. We haven't. We never will, because the reality is it's not natural. It's not natural when you bury your best friend little Charlie in the backyard after his body gives out because golden retrievers don't last more than 15 years, right? It's not natural. I have a golden retriever named Charlie, and I will weep like a baby when that day happens. It's not natural when you stand over the casket of a loved one and you say your goodbyes. We know this. We feel this about death, but but for whatever reason, we don't want to lean in to the difficulties of these questions. And in some ways, little kids have more courage than us as adults to really try and understand the difficulty with death, the sting of it, and really what the resurrection hope is all about. You know, death is this kind of, I've heard it said, an uninvited guest to every, every party he shows up at. Death's an intruder. He's not supposed to be a part of this world and creation as God intended it. And so what if, what if there was a solution that, that way back when, when death first entered, that God started working, started moving towards to bring about an end to this thing, this, this thing called death. That's what the resurrection hope is all about. That's what I hope that you walk out of here with more clarity on, more understanding of. And so what I wanna do is actually open the Bible to uh, the book of John, chapter 20. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, um, I want to open us to a scene actually following that first Resurrection Sunday. A couple verses, verses 24 through 29. If you're new to the Bible, uh, John, the Gospel of John, is the fourth book in the New Testament. Don't be shy about asking the table of contents for directions. But I want us to look at this idea of resurrection hope, especially when death is close, when it's near, because that's when resurrection hope is needed the most, when he's an uninvited guest that that shows up, when it seems a little too good to be true, where do we get our hope? Let me set the scene for us. This is John 20, 24 through 29. This is immediately following Jesus' resurrection. 
It's centered around one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple, a follower of Jesus named Thomas, okay? And he's grappling with this resurrection hope, but he's doing it when death's come near. There's, there's a pain of death that Thomas is feeling, all right? His Lord, his teacher, his friend has just been beaten, broken, and buried. Thomas just endured the first sad Friday. It's even past the first resurrection Sunday, and now his friends are saying, Hey, there's resurrection hope. Jesus is alive. And he's going, I don't know. I don't know. And so this is where verse 24 picks up. And and what I hope it answers for us are three quick questions. Why do we find it so difficult to believe in this resurrection hope? What's really at the core of it? Why do we find it so difficult to believe? How does Jesus respond to our unbelief? And then lastly, how do we respond to Jesus? Let me read for us. This is John 20, 24 through 25. It says, But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand on his side, I will never believe. This is a man struggling with resurrection hope, especially in the midst of grief where death has come near. You see, Thomas is known as the doubter, but I don't think that's fair. I think Thomas is is the thinker. Thomas is the kind of person who needs a little more convincing, but once he's convinced, he's committed. You might be that kind of person, right? Peter's recognized as the brave one, the, the one that only a few chapters before in John 13 confesses Christ and says, I will lay down my life for you, right? Peter's the bold one. But a few chapters before John 13 is John 11, and you have Thomas in John 11 rallying the troops going, guys, Jesus is going back to Judea to to raise Lazarus. Let us go with him that we too may die with him. You see, Thomas Thomas wasn't a coward. Thomas had courage. Thomas had courage like Peter had, but Thomas hadn't seen the Lord like Peter had. And so he's asking these questions. And in his grief, his friends say, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas's most natural response as a calculated thinker, as someone who's not ready, fire, aim, but ready, aim, fire is, if I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, put my hand on his side, I will never believe. You see, what Thomas is struggling with is, is his resurrection hope. He's struggling to believe, especially when he needs it the most, when death is near. Ever been there? What Thomas is saying is he needs to understand. He needs to understand. He needs to connect the dots. He needs to understand why Jesus had to suffer. Why the resurrection is necessary. And so this question for us gets at the question ultimately of why do we struggle to believe? Why do we find it difficult? I think so many of us have heard the claims of other Christians. We've heard the gospel, right? We, we've heard that, that Jesus has died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, but it stays too conceptual. We really need to connect the dots. It needs to become personal. It needs to come near. We need to make sense of the suffering, of the crucifixion of Christ, of the resurrection. A lot of times we think thinking is, is an opposition to belief, and, and I want you to hear it's not. Questions like this are good. They're right. Thinking's a prerequisite to belief. And Thomas is thinking. He's asking questions. Here's the truth. 
And this is the first thing I want you to make sure that you don't miss this morning is that you don't need to see to believe, but you have to understand. If the gospel, especially Resurrection Sunday, just, it's just something you, you hear said by Christians and it stays out here in concept. If you don't really understand why, why the cross was necessary, why the resurrection was necessary, if you don't connect the dots, you'll never ever believe. This is the divine conundrum that the cross and the resurrection solve. How does a just God and a loving God deal with sinners like you and me? How has he solved the sin problem? This is the divine conundrum. And only the cross and the resurrection answer that perfectly, where God at the same time can be fully just in judging the sins of humanity, your sin and mine, but also just perfectly loving in that he put his condemnation on his son in your place. Don't you see the beauty of it? The incredibleness of it? Until that connects, it's too hard to believe. Until you understand that from the beginning, death wasn't a part of the plan, and God has been working from the beginning to deal with it, to save the sons and Adams from what, from what we couldn't be saved from ourselves. You don't need to see to believe, but you gotta understand. And Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. How does he respond to our unbelief? Look at verse 26, because this is important. I feel like a lot of times we, we, we distance ourselves from Thomas, right? He's the doubting one. And I, I think Thomas is brave enough to ask the right questions, to seek the answers, to try and connect the dots. The question is, how does Jesus respond to that? Well, look at verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And it says, even though the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So we get this miraculous appearance from Jesus to his disciples. And then he addresses Thomas personally. He says, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. You have to ask the question, as you're struggling with unbelief, how does Jesus respond to that? How does Jesus respond to her unbelief? And here what you see is Jesus not moving away from Thomas, but Jesus moving towards him, right? Jesus shows up, he reveals himself to Thomas, and he actually gives Thomas exactly what he asked for. Put your finger here, look at my hands. Reach out your hand, put it on my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Jesus wasn't repelled by thinking Thomas's questions, he was actually compelled to answer them. Do you see that? So many of us have this, this idea that, that God is distant. Not only is he distant, he, he kind of looks at our questions, our difficulties, and moves away from them. And, and I don't think that's the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus that we see here in John 20. And again, the, tw the questions that Thomas had, they weren't intellectual questions. Thomas Thomas, he faced personal questions. It didn't make sense then why his Lord had to suffer. Why he couldn't just come and conquer? Why did he have to die? He didn't understand the justice side of the cross. And so Jesus comes, and he gives him the why. He gives him the purpose. Jesus helps Thomas understand the scars of his suffering. 
And here's the second truth I want you to leave with this morning is Jesus doesn't fear our questions, he faces them. He's not afraid of your thoughts, even your doubts. That's part of it. Think about how he greets his disciples. Look at verse 26. Peace be with you. Right? The, the, the two good to be trues, the, when death is near and we're struggling with the reality of it, and we go, man, is this real? Is this true? Do I have a hope for the future? In the midst of the sting of death, do I have a hope in the present for what the future can be because of what Jesus has accomplished in the past? Jesus doesn't fear those questions. What he wants is peace for you. What he wants is peace for me. My question to you is, do you face your own questions? Are you more afraid of your questions than, than Jesus is? Do you ask these kind of questions? Do you just not go there? Which is usually the case, isn't it? When we see death, again, if we stand over an open casket, even if we... We, we scroll through it on our screens and we see it a continent away in Ukraine. Like, we don't work to connect the dots. And I, I want to implore you, that's the last thing you should do. How does it all fit together? Why is death the most natural thing in life so unnatural? Why can't we come to grips with it? Why are we not okay with it? Could it be that it was never meant to be? Could it be that God from the beginning was working to make it never be again? Could it be that that's what Easter is all about? That's what a resurrection hope is. I can say this for certainty. The last thing Jesus wants for you and for me, and you may not see him show up physically, okay? I don't want to get too allegorical with this text, okay? But the last thing Jesus wants for you and me, I think I can say with certainty, is for you to be distressed and even haunted by death. When Easter weekend is all about him conquering it, it doesn't take the sting out of it, it's the sting we'll feel on this side of heaven. But the last thing he wants is for you to not have peace about the ultimate outcome. The last thing he wants is for you to not know that death doesn't have to have the last word. Amen? Do we understand the resurrection hope? Do we hold to it? This past Thursday, um, my older brother, buried his firstborn son, Judah. Judah was born a stillbirth. He had trisomy 13. It was expected. Doesn't make it any easier. I flew down last week just to sit with my brother in his grief. And you ask all the questions, right? Why? Why us? Is this God's will? These are other sermons for other days. Come back next week, right? 
Death was an unwanted guest in my family this last week. Death stung this last week. What do you do with that? You just sit there, just kind of say some pleasantries, right? State some silly things. No. No, you, you have to lean in. You have to, you have to ask the questions. You have to go, is this real? Is this true? Or do we just get dressed up for nothing? We're just dying eggs here. Going on Easter egg hunts, loving little bunnies, right? What, what is resurrection hope all about? Does my brother have hope that he'll see his son one day? And where do you base that hope? The resurrection isn't true. Speaking to you Christians in here this morning, you're not forgiven. The resurrection isn't true. Your Christian loved ones are not in a better place. The resurrection isn't true. Your hope for life after death is hopeless, and your faith should be pitied. Now, that's my paraphrase. That's the Apostle Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you have resurrection hope? Do you understand why Jesus had to die and be resurrected from the grave? That's if the resurrection isn't true, but it is. It is, and so how do we respond to a risen Jesus? This is how I want to close. Look at verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 20, verses 28 and 29. This is how Thomas responded to Jesus when Jesus came near and answered the questions that he had about his resurrection hope. Thomas responded with this statement, and it is an absolute powerful one. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? In response to Jesus moving towards Thomas, Thomas cries out the greatest confession that you will read in the gospel accounts. We look at Peter as the confessor, the bold one, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, all, all record Jesus' confession, saying that, that Jesus is God's Messiah. When he says, who do you say that I am? But this confession is greater. Nowhere else in the gospel accounts do we have it recorded, a disciple confessing Jesus not just as Lord but as God. All right, let me translate for you, because if Peter's saying, Jesus, you're God's Messiah, what Thomas is saying is, Jesus, you're God, the Messiah. Jesus, you are God in human flesh, and you died for our sin, and death couldn't hold you down because you were righteous and sinless, and you rose again to conquer death and defeat our mortal enemy, and all who have faith in you can have that hope that when they die, they too will live. Do you understand the resurrection hope, the confession of Thomas? My Lord, my God, I don't want you to miss the mise because what happens here is Thomas made it personal. 
You don't need to see to believe you, but you do have to understand. You do have to apply it, and you do have to make it personal. That's how faith works. Until you face the scars of Jesus' suffering as being for your sin, until you understand that Jesus' victory over the grave is for your victory, you can't ever believe because it's just a concept to you. My Lord, my God, this is how you get resurrection hope. This is how you get present confidence in a future outcome because of a past accomplishment. This isn't across your fingers and we'll see hope. Our English word here betrays this. This is a consider it done and let's celebrate hope. My question for you is, do you have it? Do you have it? And if you don't, my hope for you is that you see that Jesus did all the hard work so you could have this hope. And if you didn't walk in these doors with it this morning, you'd walk out with it. Because all it takes is a simple confession and belief. Again, he did all the work. And so, as we close, do you have it? That's the question I want to leave us with. Do you have a resurrection hope? And if you don't, would you be brave enough, like Thomas, to lean in and connect the dots? Because Jesus is leaning into you. Let me pray for us. And then we can sing some songs that say all the right things about how incredible Jesus is. Amen? Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Easter weekend, we thank you for the cross and the resurrection, we thank you for someone like Thomas who was brave enough to think and believe. We thank you for a Savior who doesn't fear our doubts, fear our questions, fear our thoughts, doesn't move away from us but moves to us. And I pray for each and every person in here that you'd meet them where they're at with their questions that it would be personal for them, that they would, in a sense, be able to understand your scars, that they would face them, and they'd find peace. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for the work you've done on the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We pray that you would be honored by our heart's affections, by our thoughts, meditations, and our praises as we sing to you. All these things we pray, we ask, in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.